0: This episode of After the Whistle contains profanity. Listener discretion advised. Please enjoy.
1: Talk about a guy who's getting way too big for his britches around here. Why is that? Well, two days in a row you're late. Yesterday you, you show up at 9.14 for a 9.15 Elliot. Then all of a sudden... You know, today, you you know, we were supposed to get on here at 10 o'clock. We got Rick five coming on. We were going to chat for a bit. Then all of a sudden you're probably caught listening to your fucking spitting chicklets episode.
0: It's exactly what I was doing. Big celebrity. I bet you were (laughs) cleaning the house. Not a big deal. Walking around with my chest uh, puffed out. Did you get to, did you get to listen to it? I did. I listened to it this morning. Oh, geez.
1: Okay. I listened to it. I listened to it. uh, Um. I don't know when. When I was lying naked in bed,
2: lying naked in bed, naked in just bed,
1: just
0: like Brian Wilson did. <laughs> but Brian Wilson wasn't.
1: <laughs> the, the song... Do you actually th- did you make that up on the spot, or did you actually think it yes. was lying no, that's naked a... in bed, just like <laughs> i <I'm... laughs> I mean, I'm sure at some point when Brian Wilson was lying in bed all that time, he had to have been naked, right? Yep. Yep. Anyway, great job on uh, spitting chiclets, man. <laughs> I mean, you know what we don't do is we don't talk about other shows enough on our show. Because you know what? Quite honestly, no offense to anybody. Well, yeah, offense to everybody. I don't listen to other shows. I don't. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's not because they suck. A lot of them suck. Like if you're listening and you do a podcast, odds are it sucks. But they don't suck. They are you. You said it right to them. You're like, you're the pinnacle. You know that was the pinnacle, and it was yep. you know. And they are they are ex- you know. Well, they are they they've been
0: doing this for um, how many years now? It's probably coming on five, maybe even six years that the Spit and Chicklets has uh, been together. I feel like uh, I
1: was doing the other show before it was the other show, before it became our show with the other guy from the Sabre store back when Whitney started spitting chiclets. I feel like it's been that long. Yeah. Now that could be seven, eight years ago, seven years ago, maybe eight. Yeah. I mean, I started, I started in radio in 2012, maybe. So... Yeah. About 2012 was about June, 2012. So maybe they've been doing it like, and I did that for three or four years before you and I took over. So, I mean, I think they started somewhere in that window. So they've been doing it for a while, but anyway.
0: Well, they do a good job. Mm -hmm. They do a good job. They do uh, a good job. You know, listen, I mean, I was on the show and, uh, you know, I like the personalities that they have, you know, Bissonette is, you know, he's, uh, antagonistic and uh you know he he does a good job at what he does i do like th- whitney in the in his uh dry he's got dry humor but he's he's very into the game watches a lot of hockey bets on a lot of hockey um and then you know ra and and grinnell they have their positions uh in that little team there and they uh they all do a really good job it was it was fun to be on um so let's go back. You said, uh, what were you saying? Bissonette's a little, did you call him an
1: antagonist? Yeah. Is that what, you, yeah. You know, look,
0: that's, do you uh, think
1: he's, do you think he really feels that way about Buffalo and the fans after the Jack Eichel thing? Or is that, is that a shtick? Cause you know, Whitney's hard on him the other way when it comes to, yeah. Well, listen, I mean, it's very,
0: it's very much like you and I, where, you know, you always seem to kind of take the harder stance and uh, take abuse for it. And I'm just like ripping on you and cause I've got the major following behind me. But, uh, listen, I mean, biz biz has no, no, uh, you know, qualms with, uh, with Buffalo. He's, uh, he's, you know, he's doing what he's got to do to fire up. There's a big spit and chicklets uh, road hockey or, um, ball hockey game here in Buffalo. That's coming in July and, uh, probably pressing a few buttons to get some, uh, Are you, some... are you putting a team in? That's the question. They had asked you that at the end. Yeah. Well, I said, I would put a team. in. didn't mean I would be on, uh, on running because, uh, as, as of this current moment right now, I would not physically be able to like physically be able to, not that I wouldn't want to do it, I think it would be actually a lot of fun um, to put in a, to put in a team. But I say, but I'm not physically able to do it right now. Well, that's now your chance to play GM.
1: Nice. Hey, yes, put, put a squad put a squad together. And what if I win it? I wanted you to ask Whitney about the night I tried to cross check his teeth out of his mouth in uh, Edmonton when he was playing for the Oilers I was playing for the Devils I can't remember exactly what happened but I feel like there were heroics involved on his side of it he was he was he was you know jawing at me and and he got me all he all got me up. all fired up he got me riled up I got kicked yeah. out of that game actually for going after him
0: if I'm not mistaken I can't remember exactly what happened but I definitely got kicked out of that well, game well I'm sure he crapped his pants cuz I, I I don't think that's I don't think that's his game. I don't think that's his game. I think in that, no, it
1: wasn't, but I can't remember what happened. I mean, like, listen, anytime someone who wasn't like tough body checked me or hit me or touched me, I would, I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? You got a lot of nerve. You got a lot of nerve talking to me like that, Griswold. Anyway, I can't remember what happened, but I wish you asked him. I'd love to ask him and see if uh, we can refresh his memory. But anyway, um, good job. It was great. If you haven't heard it, ladies and gentlemen, go check it out. He goes on about the hour 27 mark. And fuck, that's a long show, eh? They're like three and a half hours?
0: Three and a half hours, yeah. they are like three and a half hours on Hockey Talk? Well, I guess they do one a week. Well, they only do one a week, right? right? So they kind of basically do somewhat like what we do. Okay. But we're, we're doing ours four times a week, four days a week, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is usually our shows come out. Um, they're usually around an hour, maybe a little bit longer depending on, on the guest, but they seem to kind of put it all into one day. They yeah, which makes up. sense. Cause they've all got, it seems like
1: they've got pretty busy lives, right? Like you got biz who's all over the place, you know, yeah, you know I don't know on, what he does uh, on the uh, side, uh,
0: but. Yeah, they're all I think they're all pretty busy. Um but they I think they just bang it out all in one day where we uh we do it uh four days a week. So we have Rick Vibe coming on here in about
1: uh fifteen minutes. I'm looking forward to chatting with Rick. And he's been in the media a lot lately with Austin Matthews breaking yeah. the Leafs single season goal record of fifty four. Um what's Matthews at now? Is he at fifty eight? Fifty eight.
0: He's at 58 goals. So the the question is, does Matthews score 60 tonight against the Sabres? That's the question. I thought the question was going to be, is Rick Vive
1: pissed that he's been pushed off the the pedestal for after all these years, we got to ask him about the collar guard that he wore the football neck guard that he wore when he played. And, um, yeah, scoring fifty four in the league, but will, so we'll talk to him. So yeah, Leafs Sabers tonight. Owen Power debut. I mean, I don't necessarily want to see Matthew score sixty, toe dragging and walking Owen Power, but I mean, Owen Power is playing on the top pair with Yoki Haru and and I love this. I love this. I love. Th- how often do I ever toot my own horn? Honestly, how often on the air, not off off the air, doesn't count because that's real life on the air. How often on the air do I toot my own horn?
0: Somewhat regularly.
1: Oh my God. Sutton. Never is the answer. Never is the appropriate answer. You never hear me say, oh, I said this, like you'll hear a lot
0: of people that do broadcast. you like, you're the one who broke the trade. You're oh, like, fuck. I mean, I could that, go on and on. I had fun with that reins. that day.
1: Anyway, my point is, is I remember saying for years, Move Darlene, right. Move Darlene to the 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 right. You have Darlene. He can play right. Everyone's like, he's a left hand shot. He's a left hand shot. All these experts. He's a left hand shot. I'm like, yeah, but the guy played. He actually played, played.
0: The right he was side. Drafted first overall as a right side defenseman. Playing as a left hand shot because he was playing on the right side in Sweden. In the in the, the elite league in Sweden. So now he's playing on the right side with your
1: golden boy there. Samuelson, yep, and then you got Power and Yoki Harju, and then the other two. I don't even, I don't even didn't even look past three and four. <laughs> no, no offense to the five, to the five and six D man, but I I just, I just didn't care at that exact moment. I was more worried about where Power was and where. When I saw where Power was, I was curious where Darlene was,
0: and that was my first conversation with yeah. him. It'll be it'll be very interesting to see how those pairings do. Um, Yoki Haru is, uh, you know, he's kind of like a veteran on this defense core, um, at the age of 22, but he, you know, he, he plays a nice calming game. I think it's the right move to put him with Owen power, who I'm sure is going to have a tremendous amount of nerves. He's playing in his hometown of Toronto. It's his first NHL game. I would imagine you know, the family and friends and everything else are texting him and calling him. And, you know, it is going to be very difficult for this young man to try and keep his his head on straight. Knowing what you know about playing in the NHL, I mean, I, I
1: don't think his dad played pro hockey. I don't know for sure. But all I'm saying is, wouldn't you just advise him? Cut out all the distractions. Don't worry about your friends. Don't worry about your cousins, your aunts and uncles, and everybody else. Don't even worry about mom and dad. But mom and dad will be at the game. Yeah, it's very
0: difficult, though. It's very, very difficult. And first first NHL why. game in the Mecca? Yeah, it's, it's one of the hockey Meccas. I would say one of the hockey Meccas in Toronto. Um, I can speak from experience that... Um, I felt vi- like I played in Montreal, but I felt very, very nervous and on edge when I played in Toronto because my hometown is three hours straight north of Toronto, okay? I have friends and family that watched that game like it was the game. I had, you know, family and friends that came to games. I knew there was people in the crowd, and it it, it is – um it's nerve wracking. It really is nerve wracking because if you make mistakes, then it's like gets in your head and you don't, you want to perform as well as you possibly can because you're playing in front of friends and family. So it was always tougher playing in Toronto. And I can't, I can't even imagine being a Toronto kid being in the limelight for the last number of years. He's drafted first overall. He's playing in his first NHL game and he's going to play right in his backyard. It's got to be tough. It's got to be tough.
1: Yeah, I I mean, is it a good... I'm not criticizing the move or the timing of it, okay? It's the timing of it. It's In reality, it's the first chance that he could get to play for the Sabres because he's not going to play in Tampa the other night, right? So... Do you like this move of playing him? Do you like the move of playing Owen power tonight in Toronto? Or like, are you like, you're really throwing him to the wolves here. I'm not saying it's a bad move. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to create an issue. I'm certainly not trying to look to, to question someone's decision as to when to play him in his first game. He's obviously capable. I just am. I'm wondering about, the pressure and all that stuff. I mean, you could have had his debut back in Buffalo and the place would have been jammed to the, to the Hills here. But I mean, yeah, I I don't know. I, when I saw that his
0: first game was in Toronto, I was like, it's interesting. It's interesting because, um, you know, I, I mean, I can't imagine the emotional ties that he's had with his team at, at Michigan. You know, they're in the final four. Um, they ended up losing out, um, I think it was uh, uh, Denver ended up beating them in the, in the final four. So he has to go back to school, you know, sign an NHL contract. I'm sure he's on the phone with his agent, his parents, and, and then finally getting that underway. Now he's got to pack and he's, he's got to get on a plane. He's got to fly out to Tampa Bay I mean, this kid's got to be mentally and physically exhausted right now, okay, just just because of the emotions. I like the idea that that um, the Sabres did bring him out to Tampa Bay, okay? They allowed him to practice with the team. I think it was on the ninth, I think it was on the Saturday. Um, the team the team played uh, Tampa Bay and had a bit of a stinker in Tampa Bay. Um, but it allowed him to be with the team for a few days, to practice with the team for a few days. I I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. I am a little bit surprised that they're electing to, to put Owen power into the lineup against Toronto. I don't, you know, you could wait two more days and he can play in his first game against St. Louis blues on, on uh, Thursday. Absolutely. At home yeah at home give him a give him a couple extra days to allow his body to kind of come back to planet Earth because he's been on such a high with the with the playoffs with, at, at Michigan and the loss and then signing an NHL contract could have run the media
1: up. gauntlet in Toronto after a morning skate day yes. little bag skate at the end yes. some extra work go off handle the media scrum what's the and feel it's going like to be it? a
0: massive Excuse and I mean a massive media scrum like a massive media scrum probably the biggest that the sabers have seen all year long you have a toronto kid that's the number one overall pick that is going to play in his first game soon but they're electing him to play in toronto and you know i i uh i really want him to do well i do i do not need anything dynamic and flashy and all my oh my god that is like he is just like uh i just need him I just hope that he just plays a really calm, cool and collected, you know, game, moves the puck, plays plays solid defense and just that's all I would all I would ask from him.
1: That's that's all I'm looking for too. I just I don't know. I sit back and I think, you know, what a what a what a first what a whirlwind night for the first first NHL game. That's all. That's all I have to say. I mean, it, I, again, like I said, yeah, To
0: me, it was just I was just a little sh- sh- shocked. Are you surprised. nervous for him? Like I'm actually nervous for him. Like I wasn't nervous for you know Alex Tuck to come in here and play in, in, in Buffalo. I wasn't nervous for you know even Rasmus Dahlin back in the day. I'm actually nervous for this kid because I really like what I see in the, in this group that's playing right now. Okay, I'm really. They've, they've played some really exciting hockey in the last, you know, month or two. There, there are signs that this team is starting to make, you know, moves in the right direction. This piece that's coming in, I'm nervous because he's young. He's got a lot of pressure. And I just, I really hope that this kid plays well because he is a massive, massive part of our future.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Um...
0: Thoughts on Darlene playing the other side? I love it. I don't have any problem with it. He's he, listen. He's four years in the league now. He's played exceptionally well the last the second half of this of this year. Um, he's played very very good hockey. Like I mean, the hockey that we're all here starting to, to look at Darlene and say there is the guy that we drafted first overall. You're starting to see this dynamic play his offensive abilities and puck moving abilities and his awareness on the ice is just incredible. I mean, I mean, top five defensemen in the league, he has improved and I will state this. He has improved defensively. He has improved defensively. Yes. Is he going to make mistakes? But every single defenseman that's playing 25 minutes a night is going to make mistakes. So what I see out of out of Darlene right now, you have to be very, very pleased as a Sabres fan, because this kid is he's 21 years old. He's still a, a young, young guy. He is going to continue to get better. And I really, really like what I see out of Rasmus Darlene.
1: Last question on Owen Power. because Someone tweeted me yesterday. It was hilarious. They said, I'm going to file a class action lawsuit against After the Whistle for the uh, misleading title. Of our show yesterday which was power hour but we only talked about power for 10 minutes at the end of, <laughs> at the end of the show <laughs> so they were all there there are a couple of people that were a little uh pissed off well listen that. i mean there's what, gonna what are we be expecting
0: a, from the kid there's going to be a lot of talk about owen power i mean everybody is is anticipating the six foot six 220 pound defenseman that skates like he's you know, he, he, his skating ability for his size is mind boggling. People will get to see it. It will be on display. Um, he is not a, he is not a uh, Rasmus Dahlin type player. Like you will not see these like slinky moves and he's a, he, the way I would describe him is very much like a, a Victor Hedman okay? He's a Victor Hedman type player. They're both the same size. They move the puck exceptionally well. They're defensively responsible. They're not bone crushing in the way that they play, but they're they're going to use their big bodies and they can skate exceptionally well. Like Owen Power, we're getting him. He's 19 turning 20 years old. He is going to grow in this game and he could very well be an eye-opening defenseman for many many years to come and it's all going to start tonight
1: uh one thing one order of business i want to mention to you before we get on to uh rick five um evgeny malkin four game suspension for cross check against mark borwiecki uh thoughts on the on the penalty, if you well, have the first seen it, thing go check yes, it out, seen ladies seen it and gentlemen. Times. I know you have. I'm just saying, go check it out. You know, Borvietsky plays tough on Malkin. Malkin two hands him across the wrist, and then kind of gives him a, you know, a shot to the face, which you know looked like a cross check. Sorry, I was just looking at it again there. But well, listen, uh, thoughts I mean, on that?
0: What what should he get for the two handed uh, slash on him? That's I, that's a suspension. Well, what did Matthews itself. get for his cross check on Darlene? Two games, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Two games. So I mean, I thought Matthews cross check was more egregious than this. So I would mm, say that the four I games is. I think the four games was appropriate. I feel like Malkin got more glove on Boriewski than Matthews
0: did stick on Darlene. So listen, did you not see the blood pouring from Boriewski's mouth? Ah, fuck blood! It's hockey, man. Everyone's bleeding. Who's bleeding? bloods in these bloods the bloods in the mouth i mean no bleeding anymore in this game (laughs) there there really isn't much bleeding i guess that was a very 1980s cross-checked a guy in the mouth now thankfully Borvieski has is missing his top four teeth or he would have no teeth that's a good point good point okay so do you like the suspension or not do you think it should have been more Uh, i think i think it should have been more i think you have a blatant cross check to a mouth and you and and for me i would be making the phone call to say you know is there teeth missing is there like what is what is the the damage that was done with the cross check that's what i would be asking if it's just like an upper upper lip where he cut his upper lip and you know he's got a couple stitches then we're fine but if he's missing teeth he should he should have eight games suspension he should have been suspended for the remainder of the season there was no
1: glove i don't know what i'm watching but there was no glove i apologize instantly no i regret saying that i i you know what's amazing is i was watching it on my phone and then here i am watching on the nhl network here and it's a you know i got it on the on the full screen here and it's yeah he, he yeah, I mean, for uh, that's that's a tough one, man. That's a tough one. I'm glad they gave him more than Matthews, though. How about that? I'm glad they gave him more than Matthews
0: because you can't compare the two. Yeah, but although Kenny I thought Malkin's, I thought Matthews might have looked, looked a little worse, though. but what's that? I said Evgeny Malkin has played on the edge for for many years. Like he is not only a superstar, but he is a guy that has played physical and played on the edge. And I love Evgeny Malkin's game, but. This year, I mean, if you're cross-checking a guy and you're knocking his teeth out, you should get uh, a lot of uh, a lot of games for that.
1: All right, so tonight, the big story for us, but I think in the NHL is the 2021 number 1 overall pick, Owen Power from the University of Michigan, will make his NHL debut in his hometown of Toronto. I know he's from Mississauga, but it's the GTA, the Greater Toronto Area. If you're from Mississauga, you're from Toronto. And if you know, Ontario nowadays with the size of the GTA, if you're from Barry, you're basically from Toronto. So he's from Toronto, a lot of pressure, a lot of eyes, a lot of expectation, a lot of hype. And there's another player on the other team who was drafted number one, and he is putting up historic numbers and the man who he just passed. At with 50, he had, well, Matthew scored his 55th, but with 54 goals, Rick Vive is going to join us next right here on After the Whistle. So stay tuned. All right. It is an honor to introduce to After the Whistle and welcome on the show. Not only the number two all-time single season goal scoring record for the Toronto Maple Leafs <laughs> with, with 54, but I'll say this, and I, and I mean this, Rick, when I say this to you. One of the nicest and one of my favorite Buffalo Sabre alumnus that I've met of all the alumni that I've met. I haven't had the the great fortune to meet all of them, but I always enjoyed sitting down and chatting with you because when I was a kid... My father was the athletic director at a private school uh, called Ridley college. Okay. He was there for 30 years. You may know it, you may not, but anyway, in, in his office, he had, well, he had a long office. I had a lot of equipment at the back, but then there was a football equipment room downstairs. And my brother and I, when we were kids went down there and we grabbed a football collar and we wore it around the house and we'd say, I'm Rick Vibe. I'm Rick Vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I I shit you not. I swear on anything that I have that that is a true story. That my, me and my brother would walk around the house with our football callers and be like, Dad, I'm Rick Vibe. I'm Rick Vibe. We didn't know the the, the significance of the caller. But anyway, welcome to the show. And uh, thanks for taking the time to join us today.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure guys. I I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, that collar, uh, as I found out after I wore it for a little while because of um, problems with my neck. Then I saw a specialist and he said, I I think it's a bad thing for you to wear that because if your neck ever went over top of it, it's going to do even more damage. And I went, oh, oh, okay. Well, I'll take it off then. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but how do wo- So
0: you wore that collar because you had a concussion and you just wanted to support your neck to, to make sure that there wasn't any more whiplash or something.
2: Yeah, well, I didn't have a concussion. It's just my neck was uh, in bad shape and uh, they just figured that wearing that would keep me from hurting it even more. Uh, but uh, again, the specialist. That I saw at the end of the season said that you probably shouldn't wear that, but anyway, it doesn't matter. I mean, I wore it; Uh, it did protect me, I think, a little bit. But then after the specialist said take it off, I did, and I mean, I didn't never wore it again.
1: I I got to ask you, you, my
2: neck. Go ahead. My neck today is still hurts
1: like hell (laughs) oh i i listen listen (laughs) hate to break it to you as you probably know more than we do but as we get older uh the the pains are gonna they're gonna hurt a little more i gotta ask you because you played in a ruthless era okay where you know nowadays everything's censored there's microphones all over the rink guys are getting in trouble for saying certain things what what, like maybe you can't say some of the things but were guys chirping you for wearing that
2: uh a little bit, uh, but it wasn't anything uh, horrible or ter- or terrible. I mean, it was just, there was the odd guy that would chirp me about it. But uh, you know what? I, I actually didn't give a shit what anybody said anyway. <laughs> I just figured, you know, if this is going to help me, then I'm going to wear it. I don't care what anybody says.
1: <laughs> I love it. And you know what? I got to say, it looked good with the Cooper Knuckle Buster. That helmet, eh? think right if you're a, if you're fighting guys with that helmet they used to call it the cooper knuckle buster because it had all the different grooves and the edges and all the the <laughs> stuff hanging out of it so how are you what's going on what's new with you where are you living uh give us a little feedback on life before we talk about uh getting knocked off the pedestal by arguably one of the greatest modern day goal scorers in not just leaf history but hockey history how's life where are you
2: life's great i'm in niagara falls uh my wife and I moved here about, I think, eight or nine years ago from Oakville, and then uh, my son lives in Burlington. Uh, him and his wife, and we have a little grandson, Hunter Richard Vives, and uh, we got a granddaughter coming any day now. So uh, life is great. I mean, I'm we're loving it. And uh, well, the last two years have been pretty terrible, but yeah, <laughs> other than that all good
0: is hunter richard vive gonna be uh, a hockey player
2: you know what i i couldn't tell you right now i mean he's probably about two years and 10 months roughly or nine months usually Um, when they start skating on skates yeah i had him on skates on the pond a couple of times my son did and uh yeah, he was moving his feet, you know, trying to move around. So who knows? I mean, I'd I like him to play as many sports as he possibly can uh, and, and you know, maybe become a, a good athlete as opposed to pick one sport and concentrate on that.
1: I, I love that answer. You know, my I have a nine-year-old boy, just turned nine last Wednesday, and uh, no interest in playing hockey, none. And um, I love it. I love it. It's introduced me yeah, to new things. I, he's a, he's into basketball, which I, I played one year in, uh, uh, grade seven and eight, uh, but I played in grade seven and I was terrible at it and I never had an interest in basketball. My son loves it. And you know, that's, that's where I'm at with it. I absolutely love that. He's, he's kind of found his own path. So hopefully, uh, yeah, like you said, just become an athlete, right? Like simple, simple, find find something you love to do to stay
2: active. Yeah, like I mean, I know my two boys. Uh, I mean, they played everything. They played uh, soccer, baseball, hockey, uh, lacrosse. They played every every sport you could imagine: basketball, volleyball. Uh, well, they're both tall. I mean, my youngest is six six. My oldest is six five. So um, this, yeah, I mean, they're they're big boys. Uh, my youngest guy's still playing. He's playing in Cincinnati. Who are Affiliated with Rochester and Buffalo, and uh, and he's six six two forty five, so he's not a small lad. <laughs> huh. Now, a question for I, you. Uh, I, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, well, it's funny because I said to him one day, I said, "Son, I wish I had your size, and I could go back in time just for one season and kick the shit out of all the guys that that beat the hell out of me." <laughs>
1: Hey, listen, we, we never want to, uh, we never want to lose the, uh, you know, the, 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 the art of redemption, right? (laughs) Trust me. I got, I, I, I don't know. You, this, you probably haven't seen this movie, but in Billy Madison, when, when he calls to say, sorry for the guy for treating him like shit after all these years. And he takes his, his marker and he scratches his name off the kill list.
2: (laughs) I actually, I just watched that about three weeks ago. Come on! I, I was, yeah, I was going through uh, Netflix and everything, and I thought I went to comedies, and that came up, and I said I haven't seen that for years, so I watched it again, and it was it was hilarious. I mean, so,
1: <laughs> so let, let's talk about Justin for a second. Um, you know, he was drafted by Anaheim in two thousand seven, and he, he's actually born in Buffalo. Um, yeah, you know, you know, yeah. like when, when you're when you're Rick Vive. And you have kids who end up growing up playing hockey. And I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, you got all these other star players, kids who, who are, you know, playing hockey growing up and stuff. Was there pressure, do you think for them to live up to, to dad's, you know, career or I guess name, because I mean, you scored 54 goals for the Toronto Maple Leafs was the most historical franchise, maybe in the league. Sorry, Craig, I know you love Montreal. Like, but, but I mean, is there pre- is there pressure for him to to live up to to that kind of hype?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, probably a little bit. I don't know if he ever really displayed that. I mean, he never spoke to me about it or anything. He just kind of he paved his own path. Uh, you know, I he got he got drafted by Sudbury and Junior, but he had already made the U.S. development program in, in Ann Arbor. And we went up to Sudbury and Mike Fellino was a coach who played in Buffalo with me. And uh, uh, But you know what? It was funny. We were driving back and he said, Dad, do you think I'm a a really good player? And I said, well, yeah, you're a good hockey player. He goes, yeah, but I don't think I'm good enough, he said, as a 16-year-old to play regular in Sudbury. So I think I'm better off going to the U.S. program where I'm going to play a little bit more. I'm going to get great off-ice uh stuff from, from the trainers there. And he did. And you know what? I think it was the best thing for him because he felt more comfortable doing that. And then he got a full ride to Miami, Ohio, graduated. it's uh, awesome. I mean, I, I couldn't ask for anything more.
0: You know, the funny thing is I'm looking at your, your, uh, Justin's, um, uh, stats and, and teams that he played, played on. And in 2011 and 2012 season, he played in the East coast hockey league for Cincinnati where he's playing now that year I played against your son. So when I (laughs) retired in 2010, 2011 for reasons uh, of uh, to be able to stay in this country, I needed to play another year pro and I ended up going and playing, kicking around. And uh, I played for the Amira Jackals of the East Coast Hockey League. And I remember playing your son in Cincinnati. So I'm looking at the team. I remember. I remember I fought that night, PD. I'm like, what the heck am I doing? I'm like so old and <laughs> like. But uh, yeah, I re- I remember uh, Cincinnati. I remember uh, the team. I remember the building. It was actually in a really really nice building, if I'm not mistaken. Right? It's yeah. One of the better ones oh, in the it's East Coast great, Hockey League. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a fabulous building. It's where the uh, Stingers played in the WHA. And and what I love about it, we've been down to watch it a few times. And you got the football stadium, you got the baseball stadium, and then the rink all in a row right on the river that separates Cincinnati from Kentucky. And, I mean, it's a beautiful city. And uh, he loves it there. I I think, I mean – I, I'd be shocked if he's not coaching that team in two or three years.
0: Wow. Yeah. Good for that uh yeah.
2: I mean he
1: sorry, what you were yeah, sorry we I, cut uh, out there. You said if he you said no, he what? I I
2: I just think he'll be coaching there in, in a few years and I think that's what he wants to do. Uh he's a player assistant coach now. He's in charge of the the uh penalty kill uh and putting that all together and everything. So you know, it's kinda of neat for him to be able to be in a role like that where he has a little bit of say in what goes on and that. Then they just got home from Newfoundland <laughs> last night. It was they went to Twelve year and then they went to Newfoundland for three games. Uh they left that they left the hotel at at four in the morning and they got home at eight o'clock last night. So <laughs> it was a long day. Jeez.
1: Well, hey, it's not like uh it's not like coaching and winning championships in the ECHL is uh, any stranger to the the Vive family, eh?
2: No, well, I did it. And hopefully uh, he gets that opportunity at some point. And, uh, you know, we had a great relationship with Buffalo at the time when I was in South Carolina, Larry Carrier was the assistant GM. And, you know, we had a, a wonderful agreement with them and, and now Cincinnati does. So, uh, it's kind of neat uh, to see the guys coming up and down and stuff, and uh, I hope they send us a, co- a defense winner two to, for the last two games of the year so we can get in the playoffs. So,
1: <laughs> so you uh, when you were there, uh, you um, you you coached with Rick Aduno, right? Yeah. yeah, so so I I played with his I played with his nephew Jeremy. So I know Rick from from the Rochester training camps when I was with the Amerks, but you also had a Buffalo boy in your team there named Dave Seitz. Yeah. He be, he became yeah, a Dave South Carolina fun. legend, did he not?
2: Oh my god, yeah. He him and uh Jason Cepola were were probably my two best players at the time and and great kids. They were they were wonderful kids. Uh Sippy's they helped, a Yale they boy yeah yeah and uh and they they really they were a big part of us winning that championship in uh what was it 96 97 I believe it was yeah yeah and uh but we we had a great team and uh, we won the Brabham cup for the regular season title and the playoffs so that was that was a big year it was a lot of fun I had a lot of really really great guys there and then I made a three- Uh, got Jared Bednar in there and and, uh, uh, Fornell and they were two big tough guys that that really helped us along that path as well and funny thing was Ed Courtney played for us we played in San Jose and the last game, regular season game he two-handed the guy across the face got suspended for 25 games going into the playoffs and he had like fifty some odd goals and a hot, over a hundred points. <laughs> oh boy, this is not gonna be good. And then I uh, but the guys responded. I, I just said, hey, you know, we lost a good player, but but we still have a great team. It just means that everybody has to do a little bit more. And sure enough they did and and you know we went all the way.
1: So let's uh let's fast forward to before we go back in time to to your days in the Quebec league and, and all the way through, let's just Let's just get into the, uh, you know, you're in the news a lot lately. I've seen your name on NHL network. I've seen your name. I was up in uh, Oakville the other day for a few days, went and picked up a Toronto star and there's Rick five's name again. You're, you know, the Leafs are tweeting you out on Twitter. Cause I think you were just at the game. Weren't you the other night or the rank the other day where you, you were down there.
2: Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I was at the game and uh you know what they did they did a great thing yesterday uh brendan shanahan the president reached out to me and they had me come down to the practice rink and meet him and then took a tour of of their facility went in and met all the coaches and then i went into their meeting room uh, like well it's basically a theater now what they have the teams in the nhl and for their video you guys didn't have that at the old
1: maple leaf gardens yeah right harold ballard (laughs) harold ballard wasn't building you guys a theater
2: harold probably wouldn't have built us a doghouse if we asked him but (laughs) um so anyway i we go in there and uh they're going over all the things that the coach wants them to see and everything and then and i i wasn't expecting it and then all of a sudden he said we've got a special guest here and so roll the tape and, and they showed a video of a lot of my goals playing in Toronto and everything. So it was, it was a great day for me. I mean, it was, they, uh, they were wonderful to me. I got to sit down with, with Austin for about 15 minutes and the, well, they have a kitchen now and a chef's and, and the whole bed. And so I sat down with him and had lunch and, and it, it was wonderful. I mean, it was a great day and uh, I couldn't have been happier for, What are your, what are your thoughts of Austin? Greg, I I think he's a great kid. I, uh, you know, we all make mistakes. I mean, the the thing he did in Arizona a few years back in the summertime, but you know what? I think that really, I think that helped him because I think he got a little embarrassed about that. And, you know, I, I see him in the summer. I, I, someone sent me a video of him working out, and I got to tell you, I, this kid is driven and he works his ass off all summer to become better every year. And and you can see it in his game.
0: Yeah, I think the, uh, you know, I look at that and the situation with Austin. And, you know, he was a really young kid at the time. Um, and, you know, we're, we're all, we, I think all of us look back on our careers and kind of think, ah oh, you know, I w- if I could take that one back, I'd <laughs> like to. The only good thing about our careers is, you know, we didn't, quite have the same social media um as as what these young men have today everything's being videotaped and 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 whatever you say is being spread across you know the world basically so but i have one question like how irritated are you that austin matthews (laughs) Like, let's just get to it. Like, don't even sit here and try to bullshit us and say, oh, I'm happy for the kid.
1: Like, come on. Boy, he's a great no, kid. No. He's a great kid. No, you know what? You should have hoped it, that he you know he what? hurt him. He had a minor injury right at 53 and just had to sit out till the playoffs.
2: Oh, uh, no. I, you know what? I mean, first of all, if anybody had told me a kid from Arizona was going to beat my record, I, I would have said, you're crazy. But uh, but I mean, hockey's everywhere now. I mean, with all the teams in in California, Florida, Arizona, I mean, the kids are all playing hockey all over the place. Um, I'll be honest with you, I hey, I held that record for 40 years. I mean, it's like like I'm I'm going to be 63 years old next month. So, I mean, it, it's time. It's time to pass on the torch to someone with the ability that he has. If you watch him on a regular basis, which I do. I mean, it's incredible what this kid can do. The, well, not just him, but a lot of the kids in the NHL today. The skill level has gone to another level. And uh, I, I was telling them, like, if I, had, if I tried to do some of the things, even when I was playing, that these kids do, I'd be blowing knees out left and right. I mean, it would be crazy. I mean, the skill set of, of these young guys today is off the charts.
1: Yeah, but the difference, too, though, Rick, is that, Guys, back when you played, would have been murdered for trying some of the stuff that these guys are trying nowadays. Like Zegers just keeps trying. I'm not saying it's terrible. I'm just saying that it was just the era where if if a guy ever came behind the net, picked it up on his blade, and stuffed it up over one of the goal, great goalie's shoulders, like imagine someone did that to Ron Hextall.
2: No, because he would have he would have paid dearly for it. He would have got his head kicked in. <laughs> I just, no, saw, I mean, right. I just saw a stat
0: what, uh, on Ron Haxtell too, where he, he's led, he's had the most penalty minutes for goaltenders with over a hundred penalty minutes, three years for three years in his yeah. career. I'm like, how is that even possible?
2: Yeah. I mean, well, bench, a lot of bench clearing brawls back then too. And the goalies would all would run and skate down the ice and meet a center ice and glad it. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if, if you've tried that back then, I mean, someone was going to take your head off and uh, that that's just, just the way the game was played back then. So, I mean, uh,
1: so do you like I, it? Like, have you, have, have you adjusted far enough? Like, I don't know that I'm even, I'm all the way there yet, but are you at a point where you're saying like, this stuff's great or are you kind of like, this is, this is nonsense.
2: I, I'm kind of in between. Um, I'd like to see the game a little more physical. I'd like to see, uh, they put the red line back in, uh, make it a little bit more difficult for these guys to, you know, get ahead of the play and, and get breakaways and all that. But at the same time, I I enjoy watching the skill level of these players today. I mean, I really do. I mean, but again, I'd like to see a little more fit. If you watch the playoffs and they get to the second, third round, that's when you see what hockey the way it should be played because there's a lot more physicality uh, a lot more goes on in front of the net uh, which doesn't happen during the regular season
1: and so in, it, you said your your goal record with the Leafs stood for 40 years was there a point in the last maybe 10 years when hockey went through a lull of scoring even through like maybe the earlier 2000s where you're sitting there thinking man no one's ever going to break my record <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of years where I, I, I was thinking that. But then again, I, you know, I figured at some point somebody was going to break it. And, you know, when a kid like this comes along, who's got the amazing talent and not only that, he's a big man. I mean, yeah, like he's 6'3", 225, 230. I mean, it's not like he's a, a little guy like Zgris or those guys. I mean, he's a big guy uh powerful strong uh he's got a great skill set and he works extremely hard in the off season so um yes yeah, so i am happy for him to be honest with you i really am like i know you don't believe me but i you know for put it this way you got a guy coming into the league that scores at a pace that he's scoring at Would you rather a guy like that break your record or some guy that just came in and had a fluky year or scored 55 and never got close to that again in his career? So I would pick the guy that has that talent like him over someone that just had a lucky year. Well,
1: I find it hard to believe that at night when you lay your head down on the pillow, you're not talking to your pillow saying, yeah, but they play three-on-three overtime.
2: (laughs) Well, no, you know what? It's funny. We talked about that, and that—that uh, that is a big difference. I mean, uh, I think he's had three or four overtime goals this year. Uh, three on three. I mean, we never even had a, a overtime, I don't think, until 86 or 87, and then it was five on five. And so a lot of the games still ended up in ties. We didn't have a shootout uh, when I played. Uh, yeah, three on three makes a big difference. I did the uh, ties three come out, three. out. Um,
0: because I, I gosh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I don't I, think it was still late late nineties. Like what yeah, when they got eight, rid of ties? Yeah, when they got rid of no, no it, it was old oh, 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 yeah,
2: okay, oh, 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 6 the They went
1: to the shootout after okay. that lockout.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, and uh, and I, I hate shootouts. I mean, if, if you don't score in overtime, just, you know, every both team gets a point, move on.
1: Yeah. My favorite Riv, you look like you're about to ask a question. Hold the well, thought because I was just, I, about to, I was just about to say to Rick, my favorite thing to say to Rick Vibe every time I see him. And I say it to a lot of the alumni, the great alumni, not guys like me, but like the great players. And I, I, I know I said it to you the first time, maybe like seven, eight years ago, Rick, we were sitting together at the corporate challenge in between games. And I leaned over, we were having a great conversation in the dressing room and we were in there for an hour and we were chatting. And I said, you have any idea how much you'd be making in today's game? <laughs> and you were like, and at I'll, the time you were I'll like, look. I'd be making six million. Now it's like eleven, eleven and a half.
2: Uh put it this way, I'd be mean, making a hell of a lot more than I did, but you know what? It's it it's all relative. I mean you know, I there's there's several guys that I know my age or a little older that are pretty bitter actually at what the players make today. Uh, and one of the guys asked me one time, like, like how the hell do you pay Connor McDavid twelve and a half million dollars? And I said, Well, listen, okay. First of all, two thirds of the teams in the league probably have five to eight thousand empty seats pretty much every game, except when McDavid, Matthews, Crosby, Ovechkin, and those type of players come into play. Well, they sell all those tickets, so that's a lot of revenue that they're generating. And then I said. How many Connor McDavis sweaters do you think have been sold? Probably millions, which is a lot of money as well. So they bring in a lot of revenue. And the one thing I like is the players have power now. Ever since Eagleson got kicked out, uh, they have power. And I I can't, (laughs) it's funny because I was on the executive when uh, Eagleson was the head of the union. And like, he would just go off and, and negotiate with the owners. Of course he was like this with the owners. And then all of a sudden I think the first lockout I see the guy going, the, the head of the union going in and about eight players following yeah. behind him. And I went, what the hell's going on here? Why are the players going in there? We never went in. I said, well, yeah, of course we didn't because Al didn't want us there because <laughs> we might screw up his plan, you know, yeah. but, um, Yeah. So I I love the fact that the the players, uh, like, I mean, even when you were playing, I mean, you guys had a good representation from the head of the union and and things started getting better and better. And I love it. I think the players deserve that. And uh, not not that we didn't, but we just, we had a guy that didn't have our best interests in his heart. And uh, I think it's a lot different now.
0: Well, it's, it's, it's just revenue. I, I can remember coming into the national hockey league in 94, 95. And, um, I think the league wide revenue at the time was 400 million. And, you know, you look to today, they're upwards around what? Five, five billion Petey, Something Yeah. It's, it's well it over is. four, like the year, before the, the year before that they the were lockout or yeah, before, before COVID COVID they were on pace to crush 5, five yeah. billion. Yeah. 5 billion. So yeah. it's uh, the game is yeah, growing and it's growing because of, you know, players like yourself and all the great players, even before you, the game has evolved and they've done a good job, um, you know, using the names of these players. And like you said, selling them, like the, the jerseys and everything else, the games become bigger. So a lot more money out there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, Craig, I couldn't uh, agree with you more. I mean, it's just, Uh, I mean, if you look now, I mean, you got 32 teams. I mean, uh, I think when I was playing, we only had 21. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think it was San Jose came in right at the end of my career. I think my last season uh, in Buffalo and, uh, but you know, it's grown quite a bit. I mean, like I said, you got teams in Arizona, California, Florida, we had one team in California LA Kings and that was it. And, no teams in Florida, no teams in Arizona, uh, Nashville wasn't around. I mean, it's incredible how the game has grown uh, in the last, you know, 20, 25 years. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah.
0: But it's grown for everyone too, right? I mean, it's not just yeah. the players that have reaped the benefits of, of the game growing. You look at, you look at uh, coaches nowadays, you know, coaches, mm-hmm. uh, when I came into the league, we're making, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, and now, now we have yeah. had coaches in this league that are making six, seven million, and and guys that are making five, to three, four, five million dollars a year, and and GMs are making more money, and everybody's making more money because the the, the game's going in the right direction.
2: Yeah, you know what is funny. I, I I said this. We had a conversation one day with a, a gentleman, and I we were talking about uh, Gary Bettman. I don't agree with the, everything he does or, you know, the fact that he, you know, really wants that that team in Arizona to stay there. But, you know what, you got to give him a lot of credit because he's made the owners and the players a lot of money over the years that he's been the, the head of the NHL. And, uh, you know, I mean, you can't say that he hasn't done a good job. He has. I mean, I may not like everything he does or everything he says, but the bottom line is, He's been very, very good for the national hockey, for the players and the owners. I'll
1: agree with you there from the business aspect, from the personal side of things. And maybe it's not his place to get personal or take things personally. But I mean, when it comes to, to the personal side of things, you know, there are some, there are some areas that are skewed for me with Gary Batman. We don't want to get into that. That's not the conversation that we, we want to have today. I, I want to know what it was like coming into the NHL at 20 years old. Um, you know, you're playing for Vancouver, you know, what, what, what was that like coming into that league? Uh, So many legends in the game at the time, you know, here's Rick fifth overall pick. And, you know, you're maybe you might've been 19, maybe, I don't, I don't know, 19 or 20, but what was it like coming into the league? What was the league like at the time?
2: Old. (laughs) No, I mean, really, I mean, there wasn't that many 20-year-olds 20 or 21, 22-year-olds in the league. I mean, there was, most of the guys were late 20s, early 30s, that sort of thing. Um, it was hilarious. So I go to Vancouver, and speaking of Al Eagleson, who was my agent actually at that point, and he would go around all the teams to talk about the, the PA and what's going on and everything, and then he would take his clients out for a nice dinner. So we're in this private room in a restaurant in Vancouver, and and one of the guys that works for him comes over and uh, he he whispers in my ear, he said, what's your name? (laughs) What do you mean? What's my name? (laughs) No, he said, what's your name? And I said, it's Rick Vine. And then he took off, and I see him go right over to Al, and then he whispers in Al's ear. So. Al Eagleson, I'm the fifth overall pick. I'm his client. He doesn't even know who I am, for Christ's sakes. I mean, it's like, it was crazy. And then, but, and then Harry and Neil were at training camp, and, and we had to do a five-mile run. and And Harry said that he beat me in the five-mile run. And I'm like, you know, I don't even think Harry could run five miles, even back then. And, uh, so anyway, it was funny. It it just didn't work out for me in Vancouver. And the best thing that ever happened to me was getting traded in Toronto, where I got a chance to play a lot more, play with Billy Derlego, who came in the trade with me. And I got a great opportunity there and I took advantage of
1: it. How did you end up? What was the trade?
2: Bill Derlego, myself and, uh, for Tiger Williams and Jerry Butler, And, uh, It happened in February. It was funny because when I first came there, there was no apartments in Vancouver available whatsoever. There was nothing. There was nothing to rent or anything. So there was a building being built right beside Harry Neal's building. And we, uh, my roommate and I, uh, I can't remember his name at the time right now, but uh, that's what happens when you get old, Petey. (laughs) But... um, (laughs) So anyway, we 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 got it, but we weren't going to get in until February. So we went on a 14-day road trip, came back, we got into our apartment. So we had a little, I guess, apartment warming party and, you know, whatever. We had a few of the boys over. And all of a sudden, at, at like 6.30 in the morning, my phone by my bed starts ringing. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, our phone's already been hooked up yet. So I pick it up and it... it he says, is Harry Neal here, Rick? Let let me in. So I just put him down. I thought it was one of the guys pulling a prank on me. Phone rings again. And then I recognized the voice. I said, geez, it is Harry. So I pressed the button, which I thought was a button to let him in the, the building. And it wasn't. And then he called a third time. He said, never mind. Just come down to the front door. But before that, when he said he was coming up, I woke up my roommate and I said, hey, we got to clean up. Harry's on his way up here. So we're throwing beer cans and, and liquor bottles and everything in the cupboards and just hiding everything in the cupboards because we didn't have anything in there yet. And uh, But anyway, so then finally he called the third time and said, just come down to the door. And I went down and he told me I was traded. And, um, you know, I had to catch a 12 o'clock flight, I think, or something to Toronto. And Billy DeLego and his wife uh, picked me up at the rink, and uh, that was it. Flew to Toronto. Then we stayed there overnight. Flew to Long Island the next day. Played uh, my first game in Toronto with, with Toronto against the Islanders. Scored two goals, so I got off to a good start. There.
1: Hey, Rev, do you want to hear some of the names on the Leafs that he when he got traded his first his first year there? Do you want to hear some of the players on the team? Are you ready? Imagine walking into this locker room as a 20-year-old kid. Daryl Sittler, Borier Salming, John Anderson, Wolf Piemont. You got Tiger Williams. Oh, he got traded for you, right? Uh, Yeah. Lanny McDonald, was he there still?
2: No, he he had been traded for Wolf, actually, before I got traded there.
1: Okay. All right. Um, Mike Palmatier. Yeah, he was there. Like, what a cast of of characters you you had there. What was Daryl Sittler like when you showed up? I mean, normally he was the captain of the team, wasn't he?
2: Yeah. Yeah, he was, and and Daryl was great. Um, You know, he – I think he was a little disappointed that his – what happened was Punch Imlach couldn't trade him because he was the only guy that had a no-trade clause in his contract. So what he did was he – he was He was upset at Daryl and Palmy because they took part in showdown, which he didn't want them to in the offseason. so he tried to get rid of Daryl's buddies, which was Lanny and Tiger, and uh, he did. he traded them away because he couldn't trade Daryl and uh, but no Daryl was great, he was welcoming and uh you know and, and he was one of the pranks for sue. I mean I don't know how many times I went to put on my pants and they were tied in a knot, and it was like took me about a half an hour to get it out or my shirt or something like that. These guys were crazy. I mean, there was pranks going on every, every goddamn day in that dressing room. It was unbelievable. In fact, one of them, and and it was probably the best one was when they put the baby powder in the hairdryer. Okay, so that (laughs) someone did that. But we come in after, after practice And Harold had, he got his legs massaged by the trainer every day because he had diabetes and circulation problems. Well, anyway, he had just showered. And we're all walking into the room, and Harold turns on the hairdryer. (laughs) Baby powder all over Harold. He's looking in the mirror, but he's laughing his ass off. He goes, he says, who did that? He said, that was a good one. Well, we were what terrified the, when we
0: saw what it were again. the other plank pranks did you have guys you know cutting ties and underwear and oh yeah
2: nailing shoes to the floor uh i mean you name it they did everything and it was uh it was hilarious i mean
1: where was where was the, the thing, big go ahead sorry
2: no just to think back at those times and what it was like and, and how much fun it was uh, that we had compared to what the game's like today, where it's more of a business type approach and, and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, I, I had a lot of fun. I, I played with a lot of great guys and uh, there was a lot of great pranks pulled off. And uh, in fact, I remember in Buffalo one time when San Jose actually came in my last year. So we went there to play and it was in the old building in San Francisco. So we had our rookie party and uh, uh, we went to this nice restaurant down the road from the hotel. I think we only had five rookies and they were going to pay for the dinner and everything. So Pat Fontaine, Dale Howard, Chuck and I were sitting at the end of the table and a couple of the other older guys and guys started ordering Dom Perignon and all these expensive (laughs) scotches and everything. And and I look at at Dale and I look at... uh, Pat and I said, "Guys, this is getting a little out of hand. I mean, you know, these these five rookies are going to have to pay an awful lot." So uh, Pat stood up and said, "Guys, like you know, take it easy on the on the expensive drinks here because we don't want these guys. To, I think they paid fifty nine hundred between five of them, and uh, which wasn't too bad. But I mean, had that kept going, it could have got to about ten grand. The way things were going." <laughs>
1: Well, back then, so 5,900, what, what, how would, uh, with inflation, what is that now? Like 15 grand? Probably. <laughs> That's just yeah. a regular team dinner now, Rick. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, because, of, I mean, and you know what? It's, it's good. These guys are making good money. I, I think it's great for the game. It's great for uh the players that finally they have power and they're making good money. I mean, we made, I mean, compared to these guys, I mean, I guess we made good money for our time, uh, you know, but, uh, I, and I did, I am not going to complain about what I made because compared to the normal individual out there working, I was making a lot more money. I just needed someone to grab me by the throat when I was 19 years old and tell me what the hell to do with it. Because I didn't know what to do with the money. I, I had no idea you know, and, uh, you know, I could have had a lot of money when I was 55 years old, but I didn't, but you know what? I had fun spending it too. (laughs) I bet
1: you had a fur coat back in those days, didn't you? You had a fur coat, didn't you? I
2: I did. I did. But that one, my wife bought me that. So I got a fur coat and, uh, but so where was the local, go ahead. No, I I think wasted a lot of money on cars, which was really stupid I mean you know you buy a new car and then the next year a new model comes out oh I gotta have that well there goes 15 grand and the next year another one comes out I gotta have that one there goes another 15 and then it just continues on and on and on I probably had 40 no, maybe not that many, but yeah, I had between 30 and 40 cars. My career <laughs> hey, oh my
1: you know, I, a hockey player once said to me, uh, you know, now granted he was making a lot more than I was at the time, but I love this saying and I still use it today. You never see a Brinks truck following a hearse.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. And, uh, well, I guess I, that, yeah, that's a good one because I. I enjoyed spending my
1: money. Where where was the where was the local watering hole? Like where would you guys go and meet? Because back then, I mean, listen, I think I was more suited for your era than I was for the era that I played in. Because the the era that I played in was it started to be way way too serious, you know. Like you know, you guys, your generation, and not just the Leafs or Sabers, but just the whole league. It was like, I mean, you go look at the Philadelphia Flyers documentary. They all met after practice at the local pub where their local watering hole, they go for lunch, have six or seven beers. They would go home and they, you know, and they'd wake up the next day and it would be like, you know, recycle, redo the whole thing. So where would you guys go for lunch? And was that kind of the routine back then?
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, PD, I think you're right. I think you'd be better off playing in my area. Hundred percent. But we, just, Ian Turnbull, and one of the other former players owned a bar right around the corner from Maple Leaf Gardens. It was an old gas station, and they called it Wheels. And so that's pretty much where we went every day after practice. We would we would go to Wheels and and sit and have lunch and. Few beers and then then head home. Was that right across uh, the street? Most 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 days. <laughs> was that yeah, was that days. place
0: right across the street?
2: It was actually kind of around the corner. It was on uh, Church Street. So if you come out of the front door of the Gardens, you would go down to Church Street and go across, and then it was around behind the, the big buildings across from the Gardens. So uh, that was there for gosh, it was there for pretty much my whole time in Toronto. So that was kind of the the go-to place uh, for us uh, every day after practice.
1: Did you guys, you guys would go out and light up the town at night? Like, I mean, did everyone know who you guys were? Like it was the game back then, like it is today where everybody knows the players on, on the team because now with social media and media coverage and TV and all that stuff, I know you had TV and newspapers and everything back then, but I just mean, was it, were, were, were players as recognizable being Leafs in Toronto with the history of the team, uh, as they might be today?
2: Absolutely. Uh, if you went out, yeah, everybody knew who everybody was, or the players were and everything. It's just that there weren't the phones back then or anything to take pictures or anything like that. I mean, God, I, I mean, my first cell phone was one of those bag phones that you put over your shoulder in the early eighties or mid eighties, I think it was. And then the brick phone. And then, I mean, so we were kind of lucky that we didn't have to put up with that kind of stuff with the phones and everything and people taking pictures and videos of you and that sort of thing. So uh, we were kind of lucky that we didn't have all that when I played.
1: How does Rick Vive go from being born in Ottawa and play in the Quebec major junior league?
2: Well, because I moved to Amherst, my mother was from Prince Edward Island. My father was from Gatineau. Um, He had an accident when he was working for Dominion Bridge in Ottawa. Couldn't work on steel anymore on bridges or buildings. So anyway, he started working for a company that made altimeters and stuff for aircraft, and they were opening a plant in Amherst, Nova Scotia. Asked him if he would like to go out there and kind of run it, and knowing that my mother was from PEI, he said, sure, yeah, I'll I'll do that. So we were there for two and a half years. The plant shut down, and we went to PEI into Charlottetown, and at that point, there was no junior teams in the Quebec League in the Maritimes. So we got drafted by the OHL and the Quebec League, so I got drafted by the Marlies in the OHL and Sherbrooke in the Quebec League, and then I had a choice.
0: And why'd you choose Quebec? Like Marlies, well, were they not were they not one of the storied franchises in the OHL?
2: <clears throat> yeah, they were, Craig. And uh, uh, but the thing was, they won the Memorial Cup the year before that. Uh, you know, Toronto at the time was two, three million people. I was a fourth overall pick by Sherbrooke. I was, a, I was a fourth pick by the Marlies, I think in the third or fourth round. I just, And, and Sherbrooke was probably 90 to a hundred thousand people. And in the Eastern townships where there was uh more English speaking people. And so I just figured I'd have a better opportunity there and it all worked out pretty good. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, so
2: you, you and I, go- I love Sherbrooke.
1: So how were you able to play for the Birmingham Bulls in the WHA? Because you you, oh, you like were drafted. You were drafted out of the WHA. You weren't even drafted. Right? Am I right with that? Am I reading? Your, am I re- yeah. You weren't even drafted after your your two unreal years in Sherbrooke. You went to the WHA and played 75 games and were drafted fifth. Of, what a draft that was, by the way. Um, you were drafted out of Birmingham. Yeah, I mean, how I mean, were you, yeah. you able to do that?
2: Well, I played two years, and then uh, Bassett, who owned the uh, Birmingham at the time, uh, he knew Eagleson and everything, and I guess he, they they talked and they talked about bringing six guys down there, underage guys, and it was myself, Rob Ramage, Craig Hartsburg, Pat Reagan, Gaston Gingra, and uh, Keith Crowder. Or then we were the original six. Michelle Goulet went there on his own and he was 18 and we were all 19. Um so we went there and played a year in the WHA and then got drafted out of there. And uh funny thing was uh Mr. Bassett signed us uh halfway through the year, he signed all of us young guys to four-year contract extension, uh, knowing that there wasn't gonna be a league probably the next year. But it, Part of the, you know, he was probably in on what was going on. And part of the agreement when they did the merger was that all the existing WHA contracts had to be honored, but they didn't honor ours. So Bill Waters, uh, you know, went went to court over it, and we got a nice little settlement, all of us.
0: No kidding. Bill Waters, eh? Oh my am, god, there's a looking at it. this NHL there, 1979 draft Look who went
1: 8th overall, riff. Look who went 8th overall.
0: Look yeah, who I, went I, 3 I, picks I'm behind good. Rick Vive. He's all three right. More, wasn't it? Yeah, right, Ruff, that's right. Lindy Ruff, 32 overall. Did Lindy go 32nd? Yeah.
1: God damn it, I went 34th. If there's one person I would have liked to have been drafted higher,
0: higher than How this about Lindy? this uh, <laughs> How about this Mutt that went in the 3rd round? Played 1,756 games, Andrew. 1,887 points. Who is it? Third rounder? Third rounder. Forward or defense? Well, come on, man. How many well, friggin'? Oh, are four. Yeah, it's shit. Not yeah, many my, okay, sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, I don't know. what the, Ray Bork's got uh, uh, 1,887 points. This Third night. rounder in
1: 1979? Yes. Third rounder. You know who it is,
2: Rick? Gosh, gotcha. you know what? I wouldn't even know that.
0: He played 1,756 games, he scored 694 goals. Oh, Uh, Mark Messier. Yeah. Holy jumping. Mark Messier in the third round. Guy Carboneau in the third round. Neil Broughton in the third round. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't overlook Jody Gage.
1: Jody Gage went in the third round too. Jody Gage, a uh, Rochester legend. Yeah, don't overlook that guy. Yeah. Um, What was travel like back Uh, then? I, I I love the story of the travels from back in the day with the, uh, with the older players, because now guys are just pampered, you know, right from the tarmac, run to the charter, off the charter, right to the bus, right to the hotel. What were you guys doing?
2: Well, we, we chartered, but we just chartered those little prop planes that if you got into any kind of bad weather, it was, <laughs> and I wasn't a good flyer to begin with. I hate flying. And I mean, shit, we, uh, I remember we we played in Boston an afternoon game and we're flying back to Buffalo. And Clinton Larchuk's sitting in the back seat. I'm in the row in front of him. So he goes, the, the pilot comes on. He says, We're going to go into a little bit of bad weather here in about a half an hour and, and we're going to ask you to, you know, tighten your seat belts up. I'm thinking, Holy shit. So Clint goes in the bathroom. I'm sitting on the arm of his chair waiting for him to come out so I can go to the bathroom. And all of a sudden we just dropped and my head hit the ceiling. I jumped into my seat, fastened my seatbelt. So the pilot had to go down below Pittsburgh and all the way out around Cleveland and come back into Buffalo that way to avoid, avoid the storm. But, oh my God, the plane was going, it wasn't just going like this. It was going sideways, up and down, up and down. I mean, it was, I swear to God, everybody that get off that flight kissed the ground when we got off it because we didn't, I don't think anybody thought we were going to make it. It was, I mean, it was crazy, but at least we, you know, we did charter and, and it was kind of nice because you played in Pittsburgh, uh, say, you know, you were back in your, your bed by one thirty in the morning, but it wasn't. A three forties with first class seats all the way down both sides or anything like that.
1: <laughs> I thought you guys were going to. I thought you were going to say you guys used to fly commercial and would just get all tuned up the night before because that's what guys used to love to do. The older generation they loved to stay over and they always had a place in town they'd go a familiar spot and they'd go and <clears throat> rock the night away and they'd be all hung over for their flight in the morning.
2: Right, we did that. I mean, we flew commercial when we had to go west and all that kind of stuff. And I remember one year, it was kind of funny because that was a year a bunch of uh, Czech guys came in, Peter Czech uh We had a defenseman, a goalie. And so we're, we're flying one flight and we had our dinner, which was a little thing of lasagna about this big and about that deep. So it wasn't much. And then the flight attendant would combine with a wicker basket full of chocolate bars. Well, King Clancy sat two rows in front of Harold all the time on the plane. And he says to the, the flight attendant, he says, uh, that other old guy behind you can't have any because he's a diabetic. So she gets to Harold. He puts his paw in, grabs about four chocolate bars. She slapped his hand, said, you can't have any, sir. You're diabetic. The next day, this is halfway through the season, he cancels the charters for the rest of the season. <laughs> Over a chocolate bar, for God's sake. Um, uh- so, but you know what? I don't think he realized we were the fifth best team in the league in the second half because now all of a sudden we're staying overnight all, all the time. We're going out with these new guys from Czechoslovakia. We're getting to know each other better. And then we got a little bit more trust between us going into the second half. And we were the fifth best team in the league in the second half. And I don't even think Harold even realized that. It was just all Harold cared about was how much money was coming into the gardens. And that was pretty much it
1: so let's let's talk about this and uh and and we'll let you go we greatly appreciate your time um your time in buffalo um you know a lot of fans here you know when we tweeted out that you were coming on they have a lot of great memories of you and a lot of kids actually have tweeted like men now that were kids back when you played messaging us talking about meeting you I guess you played in a softball league too here uh back when you when you lived here um but you have Buffalo and Toronto facing off tonight and you have Owen power, the first overall pick, uh, making his debut and the Sabres are in their 11th straight season of not making the postseason. I mean, from afar, um, what are your thoughts on Buffalo and the future of Buffalo and the pain of the past that's been taking place?
2: Well, first of all, I I love Buffalo. I I think that that was one of my favorite cities to play in. I mean, I, I mean, it, it was unbelievable. The people there were fantastic. We lived in a great area. With the school system was wonderful for our kids. Um, and then you know, all, unfortunately, they've been going through a tough time in the last while. But you know, when you look at the young players that they have on that team right now and the guys they have in Rochester, uh, two or three good young prospects, the draft picks they've accumulated, I think in three, four years, that's going to be a pretty damn good hockey team. And, uh, you know, you bring power into that, Owen Power, who's obviously, I mean, look what he did for, in in the Olympics and the World Championships as a, as a kid, basically. I mean, he was unbelievable. And I, I really think with the... the the young prospects they have and the draft picks they've accumulated three or four years from now, maybe five, you're going to see a a pretty damn good hockey team in Buffalo. That's, that's my personal opinion anyway.
0: Well, that's not the answer that I was looking for. You just named three, four, five more years. We need to be in the playoffs next year. (laughs) Enough's enough. uh, It's been 11 years.
2: I know, but it takes time. Once you start kind of the rebuild and you start drafting those good players like power and, and you make a trade and get rid of uh, your superstar, but you bring in a couple of good young players and draft picks. I mean, it takes time. And, and, you know, everybody always wants a, a, an instant turnaround and get it done overnight. Well, if this, if this doesn't happen that way, if, you know, there's gotta be a progression. You gotta go through the draft and you gotta draft. Well, you gotta develop well, and then you know, because don't forget, these guys, a lot of these draft picks are going to pick. They're going to spend some time in Rochester, becoming good professionals and, and honing yep. their skills before they get the Buffalo. So, um, I, you know, I you know, I, I say three to five years. Uh, it could happen in two, could happen in three, four. Yep. But I mean, I think you got to say three to five that they're going to be a real good team by then.
1: So I know, I know I said last question or whatever, but I I need to ask you this too. And it normally it's Craig that asks this question and it's a phenomenal question because, you know, I, when you retired, um, how long did it take for you to adjust to life after hockey? Like
2: for all, me, I for, never, like, I, I, I never actually officially, I, I never actually officially retired. That's the thing. <laughs> i was just. Are you still? It, you're still. It's just a matter. Of, <laughs> you know what happened? It was just nobody wanted me. Nobody wanted to sign me after I in my last year in Buffalo. <laughs> so, but I I, I kind of got lucky because I got a, a player assistant coaching job in Hamilton, which was Vancouver's farm team at the time. And then I the next year I went right to Charleston. And coaching the ECHL for five years and St. John in Brunswick, so I was I was very lucky that I got a, a coaching job right away, and uh, uh, that kind of helped because I think that it, that would have been very difficult had I not got those jobs right away and, and stayed in the game because uh, you know because it's it's all I knew at that point point. and uh, you know but fortunately those those opportunities came along and I took advantage of it. Uh, won a championship in the UCHL, moved on to the American League. And uh, I had a lot of fun doing it, too. I love coaching. Uh, it, it's funny because I, after the two years of St. John, they let me go, uh, which is a long story. But anyway, I end up in Mississauga in the OHL with Don Cherry uh, as part owner, which was hell. And uh, we had a terrible team. Dom was a pain in the ass. And uh <laughs> anyway, he fired me after the first year, and uh that was a battle going through with the other owner to try and get paid for the second year of my contract, which they owed me. And uh I told him, I said, I got a labor lawyer said, looked at. It. He said, You gotta pay me. And uh, but they didn't want to, and uh, but anyway, that was that was kind of the end of it. And I probably sent out 25 to 30 resumes every year for the next seven years to OHL, Western League, ECHL, American League, you name it. And I never even got an interview. And to this day, I don't know why because my numbers as a coach in, in professional hockey anyway were, were, were very good. And I'm not sure if Don Cherry had anything to do with that or not. And uh, hmm. to this day, I'll never know, I guess, but I wanted to stay in coaching. I loved it, and I, I thought I was pretty good at it. And who knows where I could be today or ten years ago if I had stayed with it or had it got a job, I should say. Because, I mean, I sent out the resumes. I just never got an interview.
1: What do you miss most about playing? Mm.
2: Don't really miss playing that much, to be honest with you. I mean, God, I'm getting old, man. Petey I mean, <laughs> like I said, I'm going to be 63 years old next month, and you know, but I, I, I miss coaching. I really do, uh, because you know, yeah, your playing days have to come to an end at some point, and obviously they did, and I, I accepted that. I, I realized that, and I moved on, and I got into coaching, and I, I really, really enjoyed coaching. Uh, you know, I. I think my biggest asset in that department was my ability to communicate with the players. And, and I, and I love doing that. And, and uh, the players knew that I had their back. If they needed anything, they could always call me. If anything ever happened, I, you know, I'd be there to help them. And, and uh, I think that went a long way. And I, I really enjoyed it. I think I was good at it, but unfortunately after that year in Mississauga, I never got another opportunity.
0: Rick, last five. question for me last good. question for me Toronto Maple Leafs currently sitting uh in their playoff position right now if mm-hmm. the playoffs started today they're going to be playing Tampa Bay are they going to are they going to win the first round ooh
1: we're going to play you know this what? for that's all of very, Toronto that,
2: that that's a very good one because i think there's going to be there's obviously going to be that mental hurdle for them to get over in the first round. I mean, they haven't run a, for, a round in the playoffs since 2004. I mean, that's a long time. And a couple of times, you know, uh, I mean, I, there's going to be a big mental hurdle for them to get over past that first round. I'm not going to lie. I mean, do they have I'm what it takes sure to get over? Don't. Oh, I think they do. It's just, I think the mental part of it is going to be the biggest hurdle for them. Physically and, and the team they have, I don't think that's going to be a problem. I think it's going to be the mental side of it. And I believe if they get by that first round, that's a team that could win a Stanley Cup. They're that good. Uh, they're as good as any other team in the league. And I I really believe that if they get by that first round, they got a really good shot at, at, you know, maybe not winning a Stanley Cup, getting to the finals, and but they could win. I mean, they're, they're that good. And... You know, when you got guys like Matthews and Marner, uh, I mean, the sky's the limit is where this team could go. Their, their depth has really gotten a lot better in the last year. And, uh, but again, it's that first round mental hurdle that's going to be the big challenge for these guys going into the first round.
1: Well, I want to see it. I want to see them because when the Leafs are good, the league is good, and well, revenues are better. But you know, I don't play in the league anymore, so I don't care
2: about that. But it's yeah. Well, our alumni, our alumni benefit from that too. So
1: well, then you know what? And I, look, I, then even more of a reason. I want to see them do well. I, I want to see. I want to see what Toronto fans are like again when this team is is really really good. Rick, thank you so much for your time today. And, and, uh, can't thank you enough. Sorry about what happened last week with Austin Matthews. We know deep down you're pissed, but you can, you can tell us. You guys are
2: putting those words in my goddamn mouth, guys. Yeah. And (laughs) we're going to
1: edit this part. We're going to edit this last part out too, so that no one hears you say that we're putting those words in your mouth. So Uh, five officially said on this show, he's furious that Austin Matthews would do that to him. (laughs)
2: No, I did not. I said I was pretty happy for him. And 40 years, man, that's a long time to hold a record. And, and I never expected it to last that long. And like I said before, a, a kid that comes along that as good as him, uh, good for him. And, and uh, you know, I told him, I, I saw him the other day and I said, get 65 or 70 so that nobody will ever break that except maybe you. And uh, he might so, do it. I, and I think he... He might get the 65, I don't think he'll get the 70, but I think he'll get the 65 this year or 66 in that neighborhood. And then, like I said, I don't think anybody's gonna ever beat that uh, uh, with the Leafs except for, for him. Well,
1: he's at 58 right now. He could hit 60 tonight against uh, Buffalo. Who yeah. knows? Who knows? But last, uh, last, 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 last thing is RJ, huh? How about RJ's last, last game coming up soon? Is that not crazy or yeah, what? Yeah, uh,
2: it's remarkable. I saw the, his night that when they raised the banner and uh, uh, I watched the whole thing. I, I just, I was amazed at, at how great it was. And, you know, 51 years, like, I guess unheard of. I mean, 51 years covering the Sabres and everything. I mean, it, it, it's just crazy. And uh, he's a wonderful person, too. I mean, uh, you know, RG well. as You know, good and... Man. He's always got time for everybody, and, and uh, just a wonderful person. And uh, good for him. I, mean, I heard he liked to hang I out like there totally. in Niagara
1: Falls at Stanley's. He's like to go to that that place, Stanley's there yeah. in uh, in the plaza. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. My brother used to play for the Thunder. They'd say they'd see him in there after Sabres games and and Thunder games on a Saturday night. They'd roll their There'd be RJ little watering hole. The, yeah, the, heading,
2: the heading back to his home in St. Catharines, he'd stop yeah. in there, and uh, yeah. yeah. the the boys used to see him in there all the time and uh you know i thought i mean great for him Uh, and i know he's had a few health problems and so on and now he can just go and relax and, and enjoy the rest of his life after 51 years of covering one team which is incredible yeah
1: rick with your history of the game we could have gone another two hours uh but we appreciate your time and uh you know what we'll have you on again this was fantastic
2: yeah. Well, I appreciate it guys. And, uh, you know what, it's, uh, again, I love Buffalo. I love playing there. I love the people there. The and, uh, and we played in the old lot there too. So, yeah. uh, that was a lot of fun playing in the old building. And, uh, it was just a great place to live for my kids to grow up and, and that sort of thing. In fact, my youngest son was born there. And, uh, uh, but it, it you know what? I loved it there. And, uh, you know, but I mean, I'm getting closer and closer. I was in Oakville, now I'm in Niagara Falls. Maybe the next just step make is the move, the Rick. Just just make the move.
1: <laughs> Saber fans haven't forgotten you. I'll tell you that. So, and uh, we we greatly appreciate your time today. Thanks, Rick yes, Five, thank ladies you. and gentlemen. No problem. That's a wrap on another episode of After the Whistle. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. After the Whistle. And at Craig fifty two at the Instigator76. And you can find us, as you already know, on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, and anywhere else where you can get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.